Welcome to the Bookkeeper's Voice, an informative and entertaining podcast for bookkeepers who love small business. Each week, Amy Hook explores new ideas and shares real-life stories along with inspiring guests from both inside and outside the bookkeeping industry. Every episode will leave you with a fresh perspective along with industry-specific tips and insights to help your business and your clients' businesses thrive. And now, here's Amy. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to be talking about dealing with non-billable time and how to recover your time. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about how I led the table talks um, at the Account Tech exhibition last week for uh, Intuit. They were hosting some table talks and asked me to come and speak on my favourite topic, which you know is pricing. And we chatted about common issues that bookkeepers and accountants who are at the table uh, were having with their pricing, with their um, specifically with their non-billable time. And so what we did was, so I, you know, I shared a bit about how I do things in my business, but what I did was really, you know, facilitated the discussion amongst the group, got everybody else talking about their struggles, their strategies, their ideas. And, you know, we really had a lot of fun with it. Um, and actually we came away with some really interesting learnings about the topic and actually there were a couple of few on there there were there are a few on there that actually surprised me and so what I've done is I've done a really pretty comprehensive summary of everything that I learned across the four groups um, so that I can you know give you a bit of insight into what you would have learned if you were there and I thought probably the best way to start this off is to actually go through the statistics of you know, what the four tables looked like so that you know the type of people who are sharing their ideas um, and have contributed to the content of this podcast. So um, there was four tables over the two days. And so these are small tables. They're set for a uh, maximum of 10 people. So we had 27 people attend the table talks. And so the breakdown of those people were, um, so we had, uh, let's have a look here. We had 27 in attendance, 17 of them were bookkeepers, um, but specifically, uh, I guess they were mostly BAS agents, um, although I didn't necessarily always ask, but so I just noted whether a bookkeeper or an accountant. So we had, um, yeah, 73% um, were bookkeepers, so 17 of those. Six were accountants. All of the accountants at the table were offering bookkeeping services as well. Uh, one person was an accounting practice manager, so a very large accounting firm. Um, I would say like a uh, maybe a large small firm or a large a small medium firm, you could say. Um, so a practice with 80 staff. So she'd come along to um, help, you know, help get some strategies for the practice, but she was in that practice manager position. Then we had two employee bookkeepers. They were actually employees of the bookkeepers who were at the table. And then we had a really interesting one, which was actually a franchise owner, not anything to do with bookkeeping or accounting. This was a franchise owner who was running a franchise for um, people in the um, electrical industry, I believe it was. 
And so they have been running sort of like an internal bookkeeping practice for the franchisees to help equip them do their own bookkeeping or to get some support with the bookkeeping if they want someone else to do it. So that was a really interesting business model. And so out of all of the 27 at the table, so 18 of them had staff. So quite a lot of them had staff. I was, I was quite surprised about that. We had seven solo practitioners and then we had... Uh, the two that were employees of the bookkeepers in attendance. Then we had um, eight of them had between one and five staff. Six had uh, between six and 10 staff. Two of them had 20 staff each. And then one of them, as I explained before, had their practice has around 80 staff. So a bit of a bigger practice there. And that was an accounting firm. So we had um, three people from WA, one from New South Wales, one from Queensland and 22 from Victoria. So mostly locals there, but um, yeah, at the first table we had quite a few people from interstate. Um, and then from the group, we also had a mixture of uh, men and women. So we had nine males of which four were accountants and five were bookkeepers. Um, so we got 33% male and 67% uh, female. So 18 females, 12 bookkeepers, two accountants, two employees of the bookkeepers, one accounting practice manager and one franchisor. So that, I thought that was pretty cool. We had quite a diverse mix of people and mixtures of backgrounds, uh, male and female accountants, male and female bookkeepers. Um, so that was really interesting as well. Now, another thing that stood out to me is how little people were still just only on an hourly rate. So we only had one person who's only billing on an hourly rate. Um, obviously, you know, very small percentage were the ones that were bookkeepers, so they're not actually, um, sorry, the employee bookkeepers, so they weren't counted in this, these numbers. Then we had four who were only offering packages, 100% packages, so that's 14% of the group. And then we had 84% of the group on a hybrid. So hybrid is a mixture of hourly and packages. Um, so that can look different for different people. What that can look like is so some some of them would put their clients onto hourly and then lock them in on a regular price to turn it into a package. Um, others would quote a package and then do various jobs on hourly. And so there was a bit of a combo there. But I was actually surprised um, how little were just 100% only on hourly rates. So that was really interesting because you kind of get the feel out there that um, you know a lot of bookkeepers are still on hourly rate, whereas actually most bookkeepers have made the transition to packages, although not 100% there. So a lot of the feedback I was getting is that they were saying about 80% of their clients are on packages now. So that was very, very cool, um, you know, because obviously that gave me a lot of insight for the way that we're supporting our clients um, at Savvy and our community as well um, with the Pricing for Profit program and that kind of thing. So it really just made me realize, you know, part of what we're doing now is it helping bookkeepers to move from hourly billing to packages, but we're now, um, we're now running into new issues, um, such as this topic of unbillable time and, you know, being able to manage scope changes. There's all sorts of things that come with the territory of when you're offering packages versus an hourly rate. The challenges are different. Um, and so, yeah, I just found that very insightful, like helpful information for me to help you guys at Savvy, but also, um, just really interesting knowledge about the industry. Obviously it's a very small sample size. So I, I mean, I'd love to be able to get a bigger picture of that, but for now I thought that was quite interesting that those people who are at Accountech sort of fit into those categories. 
So what I did was when we first started, we sort of kicked off the group with, so I'd quickly just introduce myself. I'd let them know that I did run Savvy and that I did help bookkeepers with their pricing, but I also had my own bookkeeping business and that we were 100% on packages and have gone through lots of the different um, processes. So I let them know that I'd be sharing from my experience and that I have three staff um, and you know, I, I have a different different model when it comes to how I pay my employees. Um, so I sort of, you know, explained that. So the, the, um, I explained to them that I, um, you know, do things a little bit differently and that there would be a variety of different people at the table and that the whole talk wouldn't be led by me and my expertise, but I would facilitate the discussion and get people thinking about different ways to think about things. And so that was really cool. So we had 45 minutes each. And so I kind of kicked it off by getting everyone to introduce themselves, tell me where they're from, tell me how many staff they had, whether they're an accountant or a bookkeeper. And so that's obviously where I got all of my statistics from. And then from there, I said, you know, got them to throw out, okay, what are some of the questions that you want to get answered during this workshop? So one of the obvious ones was how do we drive down unbillable time? Another question was how do we recover unbillable time? Another big question was actually, what software should I use to track my time? Or actually more accurately, it would be, which is the best software to use to track my time? Um, because a lot of people are already using software to track their time. So looking at potentially switching. Another great question that we got was, is packages a better way to reduce unbillable time? Is it, is our, and is package billing actually better than hourly? And obviously that was the one person that's still on hourly. Um, so the other question that we also got was how do I automate my processes and specifically my administration billing and then also which apps in general are going to give my practice more efficiency. Uh, another question was how do I get my clients to appreciate the value and how do I scope a job and what do I put in my engagement letter? Now, as we went through the sessions, obviously I took down a note of the questions that people were answering, but because it wasn't, you know, like a guru model where I'm just going, okay, these are the answers to all of your questions. Uh, what I did was I put the discussion out there to the group and asked, you know, lots of different questions. And so there was no specific answering of one question, like this is the question, this is the answer. But what came out of there were a whole bunch of key learnings, which I've summarized into uh, groups and categories of, you know, of what they're about. Um, and then I kind of also made a note of some common issues or interesting issues that people were mentioning. So what I'll do is I'll just go through those common issues, all of the key learnings in, you know, in the order that I've noted them down in. Um, and then at the end, I'll finish up with what I think was like for me was a key to, and actually it was for the group as well. Like I did ask them and they, um, what they thought and th there was a key takeaway which I'll share with you right at the end because, um, yeah, it actually surprised me. Um, and, you know, as I, as I started to bring that up and discuss it with the group, they were like, yes, this is definitely, this is definitely the key takeaway and, you know, potentially one of the biggest factors in reducing or recovering unmillable time or non-millable time. So, 
So I'll start off with the common issues or some interesting issues that were expressed at the table. So one of the comments that was made by one of the accountants was that the more experienced the accountant is, the less billable time they have. I found that really interesting because it was the opposite in, for bookkeeping businesses. So with the bookkeeper, you know, you've got the more highly experienced person who's the BAS agent. Um, and then you've got, whereas, and they, they tend to be the, the, have the most billable time, but then you've got different business models arising there. So what, what we worked out that that was coming down to was that the accountants who are more senior, they're getting a lot more distractions, they're getting interrupted by staff, they're managing teams and things like that. So it's not necessarily, um, you know, to do with, you know, their, their, their skill level, obviously, once they, you know, once the accountant becomes more qualified, they're sort of sitting in the break room, you know, <laughs> eating scotch finger biscuits um, instead of doing their work. It's not that at all, but that, you know, obviously their time is split um, between lots of different things. Um, and also they might not be necessarily always focusing on client work. And kind of tied into that, the accountants did express, you know, um, obviously writing off time um, especially like when a new staff member would start potentially what they would do is that you know they have an idea of what they want to charge the client already so even though the time's getting tracked um, what they're doing is they're actually just writing off time to have the invoice match you know what they're, what they're kind of planning it out to be and you know from my experience working in an accounting firm I started out an accounting firm I worked there on and off for about 12 years but also managed their bookkeeping practice um, and even after I left there, I used to manage their WIP, their work in progress. And so we used to manage it in an Excel spreadsheet. So the staff used to all record their timesheets in a, in, a, in a spreadsheet. They'd print it out and then it would get scanned and sent to me and I would manually data entry it into the spreadsheet. And so sometimes I wouldn't receive the timesheets to actually enter them, sometimes for months or even like at one time, even up to a year <laughs> afterwards. So, so I was always way behind in the data entry. And I always thought to myself, how, you know, I, I said to the business owner, how do you actually bill your clients if you're not getting this, you know, up to date? And, you know, we always had this dream to get it up to date, but it just never happened. And so he just said, oh, I just charged them 5% extra on whatever they got billed last year. And I thought, gosh, okay, so why do you keep this work in progress? And it was more just to have it there, you know, for, I don't know, for like accounting purposes, you know, obviously they, you can put your work in progress on your, on your balance sheet. Um, and so, you know, maybe it was just kind of there in case of an audit. I don't really know. But anyway, let's not go there. I mean, I just did, but anyway, let's keep moving forward. And so another common issue was coming up is really just people not sure, you know, they've gone to packages and they're just not sure if the hourly rate that they've used to create the package is right. They don't know if the package amount is right. They're not even sure how to analyze that. Um, and then the other common issue was once the time is lost, is there any way to get it back? And so I found all of these fascinating. So anyway, these are the key learnings. So the key learnings or the key takeaways were firstly, um, number one, track your time and review your time regularly, you and your team's time. So that sort of answers one of the first questions that people are asking, which is about, you know, time tracking apps. And everyone was comparing their different apps. We had um, Toggle, XPM, um, we had um, the accountants tended to be using Sage, the bookkeepers tended to be using XBM, but we had a few other ones in there like T-Sheets and, um, yeah, T-Sheets and Toggle. Uh, personally, um, at Off The Hook Bookkeeping, I use 
teamwork projects. So that's um, a new system that we've set up there, which has an inbuilt chat program, which is pretty cool. So everybody shared their ideas and talked about the pros and cons of the different apps and how it fits into their workflow. Um, and then the next thing was once you're tracking your time, you have to review it regularly. So the way that I do it at Off The Hook is we do a monthly review and then an in-depth quarterly review. So the monthly review is a light review and the, um, on the, the quarterly review is a, a, a deeper review where we go right into it and we send, we send the client a, re a report and a scope adjustment if needed. And so that was one of the big things, you know, we had a lot of people tracking their time and not really ever making the time to look at it. So, um, you know, really you have to set aside time to actually sit down and look at that and, you know, at least to have a time tracker that allows you to do some kind of analysis. You know, the reason that you need to be able to analyze your timesheets is so that you can look for opportunities or spot underperforming staff or perhaps clients that aren't profitable or, you know, looking for tasks that can be automated or taking too much time. Another really cool takeaway, which I thought was great, um, one of the accountants brought this one up, was plan your work and work your plan. That's not how he said it, but that's how I've rephrased it. He said something really interesting. He said, mostly we don't find out that the time was non-billable until after the work has already been done and then it's too late. So uh, what we took away from that discussion is that it's really important to actually plan ahead and set goals for the client. That way you know what you're aiming for and then that way once you start to reach you know, 50%, 75%, 80%, 90% of those limits that you've set, you can actually start to you know review that and get in contact with the client if need be or have a chat with the team if you need to do that and so that was a really excellent um suggestion that came from you know one person sharing their idea and so the other thing that came out of that which is actually connected is to estimate your costs and your margins so one of the first questions i asked is who has something that they can use as a, like a high level plan of their business. Can you get a high level snapshot of your practice and what each person's capacity is, what the client requirement for work is? Is it something that you can update easily and keep a track on that? And is it something that you can use to plan your resources? You know, if you plan to do some marketing where you need to hire more staff or if you've got staff with a bit of free capacity, how many new clients would you need to fill them up and that kind of thing. And um, quite a few, People said that they didn't have anything like that. A couple said that they had, but they hadn't been looking at it very regularly. And a couple, you know, were mentioning that they do try and look at that as much as possible. And so you would be surprised, but a lot of people not really aware of what their costs are. They're not really aware of what their margins are. And so um, that can actually become an issue because there's a bit of a blind spot there. And so you're kind of just finding everything out, you know, way after the fact. And sometimes it's too late, you know, you've got to be able to be proactive with clients, especially if you're on packages and you need to change the scope. So the next question I asked them, which brought about the next key learning was, what is unbillable time? Like what are the causes or the sources of the non-billable time? And so the biggest one that came up in every group was discussion time, speaking to the clients, clients calling, um, a, a very common sentiment was that clients just feel like they can call up whenever they want and have long discussions. And, you know, um, so then we had a bit of a back and forth discussion about whether, you know, you should allow your client to do that. We had some very strong opinions saying, hey, I'm not your friend, I'm your bookkeeper. And then we had other people who are, you know, obviously, you know, they, they chat and chat to the, the clients and they don't really kind of 
they sort of lose track of things. Um, and then we had a couple of others who are like, every time a client calls, I hit the timer straight away and make sure that I'm timing it. And so that was a really interesting one because for me, uh, at Off The Hook Bookkeeping, we actually put discussion time into the scope. And so what we do is we create, depending on their level of package, we allow a, a, a portion of discussion time that's relevant to that specific um, size of job. So depending on, you know, like if it's a weekly job, obviously they get a lot more discussion time. If it's only monthly or annual or quarterly or whatever, then it's, it's less discussion time. And we make sure we outline that. And we also say what discussion time is. So we let them know that discussion time includes um, quick emails, quick phone calls, um, and any kind of short chat conversations that have to happen in between the, the month where the client might have questions. And we also let them know that longer discussions can be arranged for an additional fee. And then from there, we also have for people who know they're going to need more discussion time with that, we actually have like small, um, medium and large kind of, you know, support packages for people that kind of need that. So that was a really big one, how to, how to do that, how to control that, how to, you know, still, you know, you've got to be really careful with that because obviously you don't want your clients to feel like every second that they call you, you're hitting the timer. You want to give them, you don't want to make them afraid to call you. You want the clients to trust you. You want them to be able to come to you and ask for help when they need it, run things by you if they're making decisions. And so really it's very important. You've got to balance out the whole discussion time thing. You've got to let them know, Hey, my time is not unlimited. And yes, except if you, you know, take advantage of my time, you do need to pay extra however you know we do give you room to move there and we include some discussion time which you are not being charged for it's factored into the package um, and then that just gives them the confidence to know that you're not hitting the timer every time they call and to not be scared that they're going to get you know out you know all these you know these um hours on their bill for, for discussion time um, the other usual suspects were um training staff uh, learning software um, and then there were things like double handling. So there would be, um, yeah, disorganizing lack of disorganization and lack of process leading to double handling. Sometimes two people sort of overlapping on the same things. Um, obviously mistakes, um, can happen and they need to be fixed and written off, um, at not at the client's cost. Um, and then some other things were like travel and, uh, travel time and also just what we talked about before, which was the lack of practice planning. So that's what everybody really felt across the board that were the causes of non-billable time. Um, another obvious one is really like administration time. So there was, there's a bit of a sort of discussion going on about what, ad, which administration time should be built. Um, and you know like how should the administration time actually get charged to the client um so you know for example if they're paying for a specific um you know small fixed fee service for administration time you know uh, yeah how do they track that do they get the staff to you know is it worth is it actually worth getting administration tasks to you know put five minutes to this person five minutes to this person like how does that actually work and so um, a number of people are finding that they just simplify it and they just have the staff, like for whatever the type of task is, they just automatically allocate five minutes. Um, and there were some that just don't bill the administration time at all. And then, you know, kind of a mixture in between. So 
Um, yeah, so that, that was a really interesting one anyway, knowing the causes of the non-billable time is definitely something that can help you reduce it because you know where it's coming from and you know the areas that you can tackle. Um, so another one was scope jobs and amend the scope, scope quickly. And so you probably know that I'm a big fan of this, like I'm always talking about um, the importance of scoping jobs properly. And for me, that involves a bookkeeping health check, having a proper engagement letter that actually covers, um, you know, helps the client to understand what a scope change is, what causes it to arise, because you want the client to know that they're not powerless against scope changes. Scope changes don't just kind of come out of nowhere. There's usually something that happens and often it's something that they do. Um, and so, you know, I shared with the group, you know, this is what we do in our engagement letter. We let them know what causes the scope changes and we let them know what will happen once the scope has changed. And, you know, that was really helpful for everybody. Nobody else um, in the group had actually been doing that. A couple were doing bookkeeping health checks. Nobody had really discussed, um, yeah, like scope changes with the client and let them know ahead of time. Um, it was a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a blind or a bit of a blank area for a lot of people. So hearing that was really helpful. And um, obviously, you know, we talked about this before, tracking time on small things and phone calls. You know, I think a lot of us, um, you know, obviously we can get, um, we can get, oh, sorry, I apologize. I actually accidentally skipped to the wrong list. So I've just gone to read the wrong one out. So just ignore that. We'll get to that one in a minute about tracking all of your um, admin and little tasks. So aside from having a solid engagement letter, you also need to review monthly and quarterly, which I which I mentioned um, earlier in this episode. Um, and then also letting the client know ASAP, putting it in writing. And another one that's to do with the scope change and amending the scopes quickly is putting the bookkeeper in charge, making the bookkeeper responsible for, you know, knowing what the scope actually is and putting them in responsibility for it. Now, my model's a little bit different in that I pay my bookkeepers a percentage of the package and they get paid a fixed fee as well. So it's a little bit of a different scenario to everyone else at the table who had employees and they're paying them on an hourly rate. But for me, it was about the bookkeeper taking ownership. You know, I don't feel that I should have to pay hire a bookkeeper and pay them, you know, a decent amount of money and then have them, you know, just like a bit wishy-washy with going over time or not really paying attention to it. I just think, well, I'm your, I'm your client as much as they're my client. So I want my bookkeepers to actually pay attention and take ownership. So what I do is once the client signs a proposal, I send it to the bookkeeper and I say, this is the proposal and this is the percentage that you'll receive and they know what the limits are. And so they all know if I've quoted the book, the client four hours a week, they'll know that they're to work four hours a week. And if it's consistently going over, they need to pay attention to that. And they need to actually notify me if I, I say, you know, let me know as soon as you can. And I'll let the client know and we can amend the scope because otherwise what's going to happen is that if they take longer and longer to do it, then their hourly rates going down. So there's an advantage of them to come to me and say, hang on a second, this is getting out of scope. The other thing about that is it encourages the bookkeeper to be more efficient. If they become more efficient, I'm happy to still pay them that original percentage and then their hourly rate goes up. So there's an incentive there for them. Now, obviously with Off The Hook, we're sort of still quite in early days. So, you know, it's a model that I'll, I'll obviously have to keep reviewing as the business grows, but for now it's working. So 
you know, and also it allows me to have, um, yeah, you know, to be able to have contractors as well because, you know, they're, they're actually doing a fixed scope work, which is really great for, you know, the type of business that I run, which is 100% virtual. So the next key learning was really about finding opportunities to recover. And this is the one that I accidentally jumped list before. So some of the opportunities that we found to recover the non-billable time was to actually charge for travel and make sure you're charging for reimbursements as well. And as I accidentally men men mentioned before, tracking time on small things and phone calls. So that's really good. Um, you know, it sounds really obvious, but you know, sometimes that's where the unbillable time is getting lost by, by not tracking things. Um, and you know, that comes down to planning as well. Sometimes I think like one of the biggest culprits is switch tasking. When you're co constantly switching tasks throughout the day, it becomes very hard to track those little things. So if you're really clear, like this is the client that I'm working on in this time slot, then that can help. But obviously, once you're sort of more at the manager level, you are going to be switching a lot. So you just have to be uh, conscious of that and have a really good um, app for uh, being able to, you know, switch between those tasks. Another one, and this is something that I've just started implementing in Off The Hook, is charging for bookkeeping health checks. So, you know, I started to realise, hang on a second, to do a bookkeeping health check, I could do a really quick one if I want to, but to, you know, do a pretty decent one, you know, if you're looking at 30 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes, you could take up to an hour if you really wanted to, but, um, you know, you do that and then you put the, the quote together and you can, it can take you about 90 minutes. So we've decided to start charging $200 for our bookkeeping health check um, because it comes with a report and a recommendation for the client that they could then go and either implement themselves or they could hire another bookkeeper to do it and that work you know would already be prepared for them so they are receiving a big advantage from that and they're also receiving um, you know my expertise so I'd like them to pay me for that time and so we started implementing that as well um, obviously you know it's going to reduce the amount of people that come through um, but it's actually good because the quality of people who come through is great and you've got people who are really serious they're not just you know ringing everyone to see who's the cheapest so um, so that's something that I recommend doing um, if you're doing um, health checks if they're you know quite comprehensive and you're giving them a report if you're just checking in the file, you know, quick check in the file and that kind of thing, that's a bit different. Um, but I think you can definitely charge for your health checks. Um, so another way to recover is I'm a huge fan of the Bass Lodgement fee. So I charge like non-time-based fees, which, um, you know, lodgement fees. And the reason for that is it's like an insurance that, you know, it's covering them, it's giving them extra time to lodge their bass. They're covered by the code of conduct. They're covered by the safe harbor laws. They're, they're covered by the fact that I, you know, they can, they can see that I have um, X amount of years experience and that I've got a minimum level of qualification and that I've got insurance. And, you know, it, it really is just a protection there for the client as well. And just as a little incentive there, I, you know, if they ever need to amend that specific bass, I re-lodge the bass for them. But that's a good way to recover unbillable um, time or any other non-time based um, packages. So anything that's, you know, um, we do a couple of template packs we we do for clients stp um, single touch payroll packs so that they can onboard their staff um, so we can set them up and with that if they want it uh, other types of templates and training videos anything that's kind of productized you can do that you can you know add those extra things in um, to your proposal 
Um, the other thing is um, support packages for discussion time. So I did mention this earlier, but support packages for discussion time are really important. If you've got someone who likes to regularly contact you for feedback or they have questions or they're sort of doing a bit of their own bookkeeping and they, you know, they need to ask questions like, how do I do this? How do I fix this? Then you can sell, sell them support packages. And so for, we, we normally just do those. We do two, four and eight hour packages. Um, and then once they use up their time, they can actually, um, you know, purchase more and yeah there's there's different ways to be able to package that in or to cover that time another big one is to automate your admin and your billing so automating your admin obviously requires you to understand the admin processes and the workflow and then looking for spots where you can automate it or systematize it or even just batching can actually help having your staff do similar tasks together rather than doing things randomly throughout the day as they crop up and then automating billing. I'm a huge fan of this. Direct, get your clients on direct debit. So we use IntegraPay. IntegraPay is great. You can just um, set them up. You send them their first invoice. As soon as they um, pay their first invoice, they're automatically set up on direct debit. And then from there, you just debit their fees and IntegraPay reconciles it in zero. It's very good. You know, any time that you can reduce in your admin and billing time is really going to save you. And so to not have to reconcile, you know, we used to use easy debit. It's really like annoying to, to reconcile the transactions. And yeah, it just takes that extra step out there um, to be able to automate that in a, a better way. And also, yeah, just, just knowing that those payments are going to get collected, just it takes that peace of mind. And yeah, so, so that's really, a really good idea to be able to automate that. And then just, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of being on packages. Just knowing that that recurring package is going out is going to send you a lot, save you a lot of time. Just the time that you're sitting down combing through timesheets and preparing invoices. Like if you can reduce to only having to do that once a quarter, I absolutely love that. You just do your quarterly review of your clients. Um, you, that means you don't have to do a review every single week when you're, or um, every single month when you're doing their invoicing. So it really actually helps with that as well. And then another one is charging for research and software learning. So if a customer wants me to research an integration, I don't think, oh, I don't know how to do that integration. Um, I don't know how to use that software. So therefore I'm going to research it for them and learn the software for free because then what happens is obviously they receive the benefit from that. So what I would do is just say, look, I'm happy to do the research for you and, you know, map out a bit of a workflow or I can go through that and give you a recommendation. And then I charge a fixed fee for that. So I charge them for that research time um, as like a, you know, a fixed package where, you know, they get the, you know, I can go and compare softwares for them and that kind of thing. Look, you're not expected to know every single software, but if a client wants you to learn then you can offer to them to learn it and they can either take it or leave it. Or I'm sure like once they go out there and try and learn it themselves, they might not necessarily want to, and then they can see the value in the package that you're offering. And so another key takeaway was be realistic about it. So like when I say to you, how much of your time was interesting? Cause I said to everybody, so do you know how much of your time is non-billable and hardly anyone knew. I think only one person knew that 80, that their time's 80% billable. So nobody, so everyone's turning up to a talk on non-billable time, but nobody actually knew what their non-billable time was. And so it's like, okay, if you're trying to reduce it, you need to know what it is. And, but not only do you need to know what it is, you need to know what are you actually aiming for. And so that was an interesting one. 
I heard a number the other day, not from the bookkeeping industry, someone outside the industry told me that you're, you should be turning over $250,000 per employee. That's five times, five times mar like turnover margin on your employees. And I thought that was, I thought, gosh, like what industry are they talking about? No one would be anywhere near that in the bookkeeping industry. So I put that to the table and they were, everybody was shocked and said, no, I don't think that's correct. And then, so the accountants across the board said um, that they thought it was 3.3. So th uh, whatever the staff salary is, that they should be bringing in 3.3 times as much of the salary as income. And for bookkeepers, they said it, that it was about two and a half times. So that's quite interesting actually, because that works out to be more like 150,000 per employee. So if you've got a bookkeeper on 60K and they're an employee, then you've basically got, um, yeah, what, 150 and then um, 150,000 per, per employee. Whereas if you put that across to the accounting firms, that's nearly 200,000 per employee on that 60,000 salary. So obviously that's, you know, sort of, I guess that's for, you know, maybe a mid-level bookkeeper or accountant um, or maybe an entry-level accountant, a mid-level bookkeeper. Whereas if you've got somebody more senior, um, so, you know, I mean, you could be paying, you could be paying um, a more senior bookkeeper in your business, let's say 90,000. And if you times that by 2.4, that that's getting closer to this number that this woman said to me, which is 225,000 um, of revenue per employee. Now, I don't actually agree with this. I don't think it's correct. Um, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I don't think it's necessary. And it, to me, it feels like a bit of a number pulled out of thin air. So I'm always, I'm really big on like, actually sit down and work out what you need for your business because every business is different. And so what I do when I work with my clients in pricing for profit is that we go through and we look at their, um, we look at their personal um, we get them to do a home budget. We don't check it. It's not homework, but I, I mean, it is homework, but we don't actually check it. But just to confirm, like, how much do you actually need to pay yourself? A lot of people only pay themselves a certain amount because they've either just picked a number out of thin air or it's the amount, the amount that their accountant told them to pay for tax reasons, but they've never actually looked at what their spendings are and whether, you know, maybe they'd like to change their situation um, in terms of, you know, their earnings and their expenditure and things like that. So normally we just kind of pick numbers from thin air and kind of go for it. Um, and so I think it's really important to sit down and look at things like that. So we look at home budget, we look at business budget, um, we look at, you know, potential, um, like what the growth of the business budget would look like in the future. Um, we look at the, we look at the team members and, you know, how many hours, billable, non-billable hours that they're doing, what's the total practice capacity. We look at the income that's being generated from the current clients on an hourly rate. And then we compare that to what it would be generating if the business was on um, packages. Um, and then like we factor all of this in, we look at their software subscriptions that they're billing on and, you know, we, we analyze the base rates. Like we really go right deeply into that. But not only that, we look at the target market, we look at the niche, we look at the competitive landscape and the advantage that this particular bookkeeper has over others. We look at the area that they're, they're in, the location, the industry that we're working in. So you can't just go or oh, like yeah, what, however many employees you have, just times it by 3.3 and then that's your goal. Like to me, that's, 
I don't know, no offense to anyone, but I think that's stupid. So I, I think what you need to do is you need to understand your business and your goals and where you are now and where you want to get to and what it's going to look like. And then you make your decisions based on that. You work out what your margins are. You work out what your profitability needs to be. You work out, you know, how, how much you need to charge per hour based on what your goals are. And so it really just comes down to, you know, doing your homework and not just copying others. I think like it's a bit of a habit in the bookkeeping industry to just go, oh, someone said this on Facebook. I'll just copy what other people are doing. And I don't think that is a good idea. I think we need to consider the uniqueness of each individual business and, you know, all those different factors and to actually look at that. The other bit about being realistic is, you know, when I ask bookkeepers that I work with, how much, you know, billable time do you want this staff and this staff and this staff to have? And they're like, oh yeah, like 90 to hundred. It's not realistic. You're never going to have hundred percent billable time. Um, and so I think we also need to think about, okay, like, just to look at it realistically and, you know, factor in the things that are not going to be billable and actually not need, like, I don't know if I know any other people from any other industries that try so hard to be a hundred percent billable than bookkeepers and accountants. I think it's quite interesting. And so, you know, obviously we're, we're wanting to look at the bottom line. You're wanting to look at your profit. Um, you know, you're wanting to look at, you know, other factors as well, like, you know, your team, um, you know, are your staff happy? Are your clients happy? There's so many other things aside from billable percentages that matter in a business. So I think we need to be realistic and take a, a broader view and think, okay, maybe there's other things aside from just billable percentages that we need to worry about. Sure, billable percentages are really important with decision making, but it's not the be all and end all. And if you're not 100% billable, like it's fine, you'll be okay. And so you can still have a very profitable business with not you know, um, with, with businesses that are not, um, hundred percent billable. So obviously, so in off the hook bookkeeping, like I would say we're around 80, 85% billable. No, maybe a little bit higher, maybe closer to 90. Um, and then, you know, you look at a completely different business like Savvy at Savvy, we're, we're like 25% billable or 20, you know, like that's our KPI to be 20% billable. So it's a completely, you know, you've got all different sorts of businesses and, you know, it's, it's just not realistic to have, um, you know, to put billable time as the main thing. You, you, you got to look at whether the business is, um, you know, profitable, whether it's doing good in the world, whether, you know, you're achieving your goals through that. Um, you know, there's lots of different things to think about. Um, finally, the last key takeaway was to get your team culture right. So one of the biggest sources of um, the, you know, time being non-billable is, um, you know, to do with your team. So making sure that your staff are in the right roles and that your staff know what they're doing, um, but also making sure that they're a right fit for the job, for the team, for the culture. And so, you know, one of the, one of the people who was there mentioned that, they, when they test staff, they don't do skills tests, they do personality tests. Now, I don't know if I would use personality tests as such, but I think there was so much wisdom in what this person was saying, because 
I think that there are things that more than technical skills that are important when you're looking for an employee. And sometimes we miss those things because we're looking for the smartest person. But, you know, if you can find a person with a good attitude who's willing to learn, they can end up being a far better employee than somebody who's like knows all the technical knowledge, but maybe they're really difficult to work with, or maybe, you know, they don't like to collaborate with the rest of the team or maybe they hoard their knowledge. Like there's all these different issues there. And so the other thing that came out of that was to set targets and KPIs for the staff. So like what I mentioned before, you know, I, I make my staff responsible. It's like, this is your job. You need to be responsible for your billable percentage. You need to keep an eye on it. And, you know, you, you need to monitor it and make sure that we don't go out of scope. And you don't have, don't come to me and ask me, what is the client paying for? Just go check the engagement letter. And so, you know, I leave my business quite open like that. I trust my employees. And on that foundation, I'm able to have, have my staff take responsibility for their own thing instead of having to always come back and rely on me for everything. Now, that said, if you're going to have targets and KPIs, you can't be full on about it because you'll upset people and you'll hurt people and you'll crush people and you'll make them feel like you're really mean. So what you don't want to do is micromanage people. But I've said this a number of times before, if you find yourself micromanaging somebody, it could be a good sign that they're not a good fit for the role. One of the things that I've noticed is a tendency, and I used to do this myself, if I'm trying to set up too many systems and processes to help one specific staff member, they're not a good fit for the role. They, they either don't know what they're doing or they're not... Um, proactive enough they're not able to manage their own tasks and so what we look for you know at off the hook and at savvy is we look for people that are proactive they take ownership they love what they do they enjoy work for the sake of working they thrive off getting results and they love you know doing stuff they love finishing stuff they love ticking things off the list and so obviously not all your staff are going to have that kind of attitude but you've, you've got to find people who are a good fit for the team and then be willing to give those people ownership and responsibility to the level that you trust them. And so, yeah, I, that was a really, you know, that one really stood out to me. And as I said, I was going to share the key takeaway um, from, from this whole, um, you know, two days of four table talks. Um, it was really that non-billable time isn't about time and it isn't about money. It's actually about people because if you dig down into what causes the non-billable time and where the non-billable time is coming from and what the non-billable time actually is, it's always to do with people. It's always people and their time or it's, you know, or it's when it's to do with money, it's the clients and their money, but it's still about people. And so, you know, from that, the key takeaway is that one of the best ways to reduce your unbillable time or recover non-billable time is to have the right team, the right culture fit, the right people, and, you know, to set expectations and to give delegate responsibility and, you know, to communicate, um, you know, regularly and like it's all to do with people and communication. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really about time trackers and processes and, you know, work in progress and write-offs and, you know, all of those kinds of things, you know, what's the right number to multiply things by. It's not about any of that. It's about people. It's about your relationships with people. 
And so if you can get those right, then you're on a really good foundation to actually be able to get your non-billable time under control and to have a bookkeeping business or an accounting business that is really, you know, doing well for yourselves and for your team, but also for your clients as well. So anyway, I was very inspired by that last one. I said to the group, what do you think? Like, is this what you think it's about? And everybody, you know, everybody was like, yes, definitely. Like that it's, it's so true. And, and they could see that, yeah, you know, they could see the wisdom in that and, you know, they could all see where, you know, um, yeah, where the people, like the people and the team had, you know, had been causing that. Now, obviously not everybody has a team as we did explore, but then there's always you, you know, if you're the solo practitioner, it still comes down to people. It still comes down to your relationship with your clients. It comes down to how you manage your own time um, and how you structure things in your own business. And so, you know, I still feel that that applies across the board, even for the solo practitioners out there. And um, yeah, so anyway, I hope this has been really helpful. I'll chuck a couple of helpful links for you in the project notes. I'll give you, um, um, I'm using teamwork for my track time tracking and projects. So I'll pop that in there. I'm using Integra Pay as well. Quite a few bookkeepers using Integra Pay. Um, and then also I'll throw in the Health Check Masterclass, which you should check out if you need help scoping jobs. Um, the other thing that you may or may not be aware of is that we do engagement letters for bookkeepers and we also do all the authority docs. So if you need any help with your documentation, we can help you with that as well. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been super helpful. Um, please uh, hit subscribe on the podcast so that you'll get notified or if you want email notifications, go to thesavvybookkeeper.com.au forward slash podcast and pop in your name and email address and we'll email you every time a new thing pops up, a new episode comes up. Um, I'd love your feedback. Pop on a review for me. I always get a happy smile when I see reviews, whether it's on the Facebook page or on the podcast app. That would be amazing. Um, thank you so much. I will see you next week. See you then. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Bookkeeper's Voice. We'll be back next week, so subscribe to future episode notifications. Do you want to be more efficient? Get instant access to our free template of the month. Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au slash freebie. Would you love to connect with other savvy bookkeepers to get support and ideas? Join the Savvy Bookkeeper Facebook group. Do you need help with pricing, marketing, web design or business planning? Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au to see our services. Until next time, stay savvy.